Welcome. This is Raul Lowry Contreras, and this is the Contreras Report and Hispanic View of the USA. We have an election coming up, which we will pay particular attention to today. And we will also discuss the appointment to the Supreme Court of Amy Coney Barrett and the latest polls that I have for key states. That when I say I have, they're the real clear politics uh, polling chart. And then we've got the first debate coming up in a few days. By the time you hear this, it, pr it probably will have occurred. And then there's President Trump's insistence that he will not admit to observing a peaceful transition of the government if he loses, that he does not recognize that as, as his position. And then I've got a story about the Customs and Border Protection Agency, not my favorite agency. Okay, but first we want to start with, with the question, are there voters in the United States who are shy and refuse to tell pollsters or survey takers that they are supporting Donald Trump? This is a new contemporary version of the Bradley effect. And Bradley, when Tom Bradley, uh, mayor of Los Angeles, a black man, when he ran for governor, uh, was favored to win and led in all the polls. And then when the election day came, George Duke Mason, the Republican, beat him. And what, what came out of that was what was called the Bradley effect. And that is that people would respond to pollsters with, yes, I'm voting for Tom Brady or I haven't made up my mind when in fact they wouldn't vote for him in a million years because he was a black guy. So that was called the Bradley effect. And what we have here is a situation that in 2016, people came out to vote in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania that no one expected to vote for Trump, that hadn't told anybody they were voting for Trump, and they did, and he barely, barely won by less than 1% or whatever it was, 1.2%, something like that. So the question is, are there shy Trump voters that are not responding to surveys now that might surprise us by showing up to vote for Trump when, in fact, they hadn't told him anybody they were going to. So let's call that the Trump effect. A Monmouth, this is from the LA Times, by the way, a Monmouth University poll in July, for example, found that in Pennsylvania, a key swing state, 57% of voters believe that secret Trump voters exist. Morning Consult, the market research firm, set out to test to test that idea. They did so by conducting two parallel polls, one by phone, the other online. They surveyed 2,642 registered voters. If voters are reluctant to admit something, the researchers reason, they likely will be more reluctant to tell a live interviewer on the phone than to fill out an anonymous form on a computer. And indeed... The LA Times says, when the firm asked questions about whether race and ethnic discrimination exist or about people's personal finances, they found clear evidence of what posters call, quote, social desirability bias, unquote. On the phone, for example, people were more likely to say they believe black Americans, gays and lesbians, Jews and Latinos face discrimination. 
Those filling out a form in the privacy of their home computers were less likely to give the socially approved answer. On the phone, 82% of voters said black Americans face discrimination. Among those polled online, the share fell to 73%. An even larger gap showed up on the question of whether Jews face discrimination in the U.S. Of those polled by phone, 83% said yes, falling to 64% online. People were also more willing to admit online that they sometimes feel jealous or resentful. Asked about jealous feelings, 47% of those polled online admitted to sometimes having them. Just 28%, just 28% admitted that on the phone. So the question is, does such a gap exist of Trump shy voters or shy Trump voters? Biden led Trump by about 10 percentage points in both the online and telephone surveys. Hmm. Now, we don't know what uh, um, what's going to happen on Election Day, but we do now know that there are sometimes discrepancies what people tell pollsters over the phone or in person and uh, what they do sitting in front of their computers. Okay, well... Now, this is the 115th edition issue of the uh, Contreras Report, USA. And we now have a new person appointed to the Supreme Court who will be coming up in a few days, a couple of weeks, for her hearing before the Judiciary Committee. Now, keep in mind, she was just confirmed three years ago to the circuit court to the appeals court, just one notch below. That's the Seventh Circuit Court, one notch below the Supreme Court. And she was approved with about 55, I think it was 55 to 45 or something like that. Wasn't as good as the other potential, the other candidate that was considered, but uh, still she made it. Her name is Amy Coney Barrett. She um, graduated from... Notre Dame University, you know, the one with Touchdown Jesus. Anyway, she was nominated by President Trump as the to be the 115th Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. She currently works on the Seventh Circuit, and which is uh, based in Chicago. And uh, she lives in Indiana, which is, where, of course, where Notre Dame uh, is she was a professor at Notre Dame for uh, 15 years and was well liked by everybody. And she is what we call an originalist. Now she worked for for Justice Scalia, who also was an originalist. They believe that the Constitution should be interpreted as written, not by 2020 standards, but by 1790 standards. Anyway, uh, this will make the court with uh, uh, this will give the court the sixth Roman Catholic. Now, Neil Gorish, Gorsuch, the first appointee by President Bush, who has been on the court now for three years, uh, he attends an Episcopalian church, but he married into the Episcopalian church. He goes there because his, his wife was an Episcopalian, and apparently he agreed to do it. He was raised Catholic and attended Catholic schools. 
and uh, uh, observed all of the uh, Roman Catholic uh, requirements growing up, communion, confirmation, etc. Okay, uh, now, this Catholic thing is important because now the, the, the court will actually have five Roman Catholics, one quote-unquote Episcopalian, and three uh, Jewish, or pardon me, two Jewish uh, people. And uh, with Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying, that leaves uh, Justice Breyer, Breyer and um, Justice Kagan. And now, here's what was interesting, because uh, uh, Dianne Feinstein, the senior senator from California, a Democrat, got in a lot of trouble three years ago when she, when she was 84, she's now 87, when she asked uh, Amy Coney Barrett, who had been nominated by, by President Trump for the circuit court, or she, she mentioned that uh, after her testimony, after uh, uh, Amy Conant Barrett's testimony it was, and her writings, it was clear she's a very, very devout Roman Catholic. And so Diane Feinstein made one of the most stupid mistakes that a politician can possibly make. She dragged religion into it. And she asked, or she made a stupid comment about uh, Barrett being wrapped up in dogma. And, uh, uh, you know, for religious uh, innocence, that is a highly anti-Roman Catholic statement to make. Now, that leads me to, to Judge Garland, who was appointed, uh, was nominated by, by Barack Obama for the seat that um, Gorsuch uh, took. And that's interesting because the Democrats are still complaining that the Republican Party and the Republican Senate refused to even have a hearing for Marlon Garland. And that was true. They refused to do it. The Senate does not have to give uh, confirmation to anybody who doesn't want to. And a lot of times they don't. They just let it sit around and until finally the president withdraws it. Well, the president did not withdraw it here, but it was a stupid nomination by Obama that really set up a bad, a potentially bad situation. You see, if Garland had made the court, that would have been the fourth Jewish member of the court with five Roman Catholics. Okay? Think about that for a minute. Garland was and is Jewish. Can anyone imagine what would have happened when the public would have realized that it had, that had he been confirmed, 44% of the Supreme Court of the United States would have been Jewish, when in fact, the reality is the Jewish population in the United States is 7 million people. So, 44% of the Supreme Court would have come from two 0.1% of the U.S. population. I don't think a majority of the U.S. would have been real happy with that. Not that they're anti-Jewish or anything, but 44% of the United States Supreme Court from 2% of the population? Something wrong there. Anti-Semitism would have been a real problem when the public figured out what Obama actually did. I wonder if Obama even knows he did that. I don't think so. Okay, let's talk about some current polls. Let's say uh, started uh, the 20, here, I got it written down here. It started on Wednesday. This, this polling started on Wednesday and uh, ended on Saturday, the 26th of September. 
Okay, on Saturday, this poll was published. Minnesota, Biden by six points. The poll was conducted by the Star Tribune Mason-Dixon polling outfit. Uh, by the way, these uh, uh, numbers are, uh, these polls are all found in the Real Clear Politics polling page. They have all the current polls. So you can go there, Real Clear Politics polling polls, and you can see this yourself every day. I do it every day. Okay, so that was Saturday, Biden by six in Minnesota. Friday, in a USA Today Suffolk uh, University poll, Biden by seven in Minnesota. Thursday in Wisconsin, the University of Wisconsin YouGov polling, Biden by four. Thursday, Pennsylvania, University of Wisconsin YouGov polling, Biden by four. Pennsylvania, this is also on Thursday. Fox News, Biden by seven in Pennsylvania. Thursday, by Trafalgar polling in Michigan, Trump by 1%, by one point. Also Thursday, Michigan, by the University of Wisconsin YouGov polling apparatus, Biden by six. That's interesting. Trafalgar, Biden, Trump by one, and there's a seven-point difference with Biden, who has a plus six. That's for Michigan. Ohio, that Trump carried easily last time. And on Thursday, the Quinnipiac, Quinnipiac polling, which is very respected, had Biden by one in Ohio. Also in Ohio on Thursday, Fox News had Biden by five. Thursday, Nevada, Fox News, Biden by 11. Remember, Trump said he was going to carry in Nevada because the Hispanics were going to vote for him. Thursday, by Monmouth University polling, in the state of Iowa, Trump by three. Now here, this is interesting. Also on Thursday, also in Iowa, polling by the New York Times Siena College polling apparatus, Biden by three. So Monmouth University has Trump by three. New York Times Siena has Biden by three in Iowa on Thursday. Florida. ABC Washington Post poll, Trump by four. That's on Wednesday. Wednesday, Florida, CSNBC change research has Biden by three. How about that? Wednesday, Florida, Reuters and Ipsos polling, a tie between Trump and Biden. Wednesday, Florida, St. Pete's polls. That's St. Petersburg's polls. That's a city and newspaper in Florida. Biden by three. So we don't know what's going to happen. But a few days from now, and it may have already occurred by the time you hear this, the first debate between Joe Biden and Donald Trump will occur in Cleveland on Tuesday, the 29th of September on CNN. If you hear this before then, then make sure you you check it out. It'll be at around uh, six o'clock Pacific time, uh, but but check that. Now there's a black conservative that was rather prominent for uh, a number of years till he got out of politics, and uh, his name is Armstrong Williams. He's a noted black conservative, and he wonders if moderator Chris Wallace from Fox News will ask Joe Biden 
questions that are as tough as those he will ask of Donald Trump. Armstrong Williams says, quote, Trump decisively managed a massive complex issue with speed, confidence, and optimism intended to lift the nation's spirits and lead us forward. We're talk he's talking about the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. He continues, Armstrong Williams continues, were it not for his actions, President Trump's actions, the United States would be in far worse economic shape than it is today, and more lives would have been lost to the virus, unquote. Trump has called, for, has called Fox News lately unfair and slanted against him. Quote, Armstrong Williams says, asks, has Fox News shifted in its political philosophy, or is it holding fast to the principles that first began attracting its loyal audience in 1996? Unquote. Well, it's no wonder that Armstrong Williams got out of politi politics. If he thinks that President Trump did a good job during this pandemic, the one thing people hold against President Trump more than any other issue is his handling of the pandemic. We have over 200,000 dead people from, from COVID-19. We have over 7 million people that have contracted it. And there will be more. It's now estimated that there'll be another 40, 50, 60,000 in the short order and by the end of the year. That means maybe another 40,000 before the election. Quarter million people dead and Armstrong Williams is complimenting the president of the United States for doing a good job? Is he nuts? Now, if you've been paying attention, the president of the United States refuses to commit to a peaceful transition of power of the government if he loses. The Washington Post reports that Trump refuses to commit to peaceful transfer if he loses election. He's backed up in that by his press secretary, the worst press secretary since Sarah Huckabee anyway, Kaylee McEnany. She faithfully supports Trump and says he will peacefully transfer power if the election is fair and square, is fair. But you see, she doesn't say who decides that. Who decides if the popular, if the election is fair? Well, the people do. Not the Supreme Court. They didn't sit, decide that issue in the year 2000 between Bush and, uh, 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 the, the Democrat he ran against, Big John. No, they didn't decide that. What they decided was to end the counting because, uh, Gore, Senator, uh, uh that's right. Uh, uh, Al Gore had asked uh, certain specific counties in Florida to recount the votes, Democrat counties. Supreme Court said, no, you can't do that. You've got to do all counties and use the exact same system. And when they refused to accept that, the uh, Supreme Court ended the argument. And as it turned out, uh, Bush had carried the state and therefore the presidency. So Kelly McEnany says that, of course, he'll do a peaceful transfer of power if the election is fair. Trump says, and I quote, quote, 
Well, we're going to see what happens when he was asked if he would guarantee a peaceful transition of power. Well, we're going to see what happens. You know that if I have been, that I have been complaining very strongly about the ballots and the ballots are a disaster, unquote. Continuing to quote the President of the United States. Quote, get rid of the ballots and you'll have a very, we'll have a very peaceful, there won't be a transfer, frankly, there'll be a continuation, unquote. You see, the guy can't even say anything if it's not written down for him. Trump told Chris Wallace in July, quote, I have to see, when he was asked if he would guarantee a peaceful transition, quote, I have to see, period. Look, you, I have to see. No, I'm not going to just say yes. I'm not going to say no. And I didn't last time, unquote. I, I, I'm sorry, but I cannot say on this podcast exactly how I feel. But let me quote United States Senator Mitt Romney from the state of Utah. Quote, fundamental to democracy is the peaceful transition of power. Without that, there is Belarus. Any suggestion that a president might not respect this constitutional guarantee is both unthinkable and unacceptable unquote. Okay. Customs and Border Protection. And it used to be the Immigration Service and, uh, and, and its Border Patrol that was part of the INS, Immigration and Naturalization Service. These are agencies that are just terrible. They're badly run. They're staffed badly. You, you, to become an agent of the CBP or an officer or agent, whatever they call them, uh, you don't need a college education. All you need is a high school diploma. And I'm sorry to say, but in this world, the best law enforcement officers are college, like FBI, Secret Service, etc. An ant, a Mexican ant from Edinburgh, Texas, who is not legal, was taking her niece to San Antonio for an emergency gallbladder surgery or operation. The niece was also here illegally. When they arrived at the hospital, the girl was taken by the CPB, by the Customs and Border Protection agents, was taken to another hospital where she was operated on. And when the operation was finished, she was arrested and incarcerated with other children. Okay? The aunt was also arrested. Customs and Border Protection had issued papers at the checkpoint. They had to go through a checkpoint between Edinburgh, Edinburgh and uh, San Antonio uh, CBP checkpoint, which are legal within 100 miles of the border. And uh, they were basically caught at the checkpoint for being illegal. Anyway, the... CBP issued papers at the checkpoint to the girl so she could go for uh, the operation in San Antonio. And when the operation was finished, she was arrested and uh, incarcerated. Now, that reminds me of a story. Those of you old enough to remember will remember the story of Enrique Camarena, the DEA agent, drug enforcement agent, a former Marine who was kidnapped 
and in Mexico, in Guadalajara, Mexico, tortured and killed. And the American government were really upset about this, as they should be, as they should have been. And they sent uh, some DEA agents to Guadalajara to get these people, get them into custody. So these DEA agents with an unlimited budget hired five Mexican police officers, and they hired them with nice, hefty bribes to kidnap the doctor. I won't tell you his name because this is such a long time ago. But he was kidnapped, and he, they accused him of having uh, involved, been involved with the torture of Agent Camarena and uh, uh, giving him uh, uh, stimulants to keep him uh, alive so they could continue to torture him looking for information. So these five Mexican cops uh, kidnapped the doctor, and then the DEA guys uh, drove him, drove him, that's a long way, to the border in uh, between Mexicali and Calexico in California, cut a hole in the chain link fence that was before Trump's wall. This was a long time ago, back in the early 90s, or late 80s. So they cut a hole in the chain link fence separating the United States from Mexico and shoved this doctor through it and CB, what was in uh, Immigration Naturalization Service officers, arrested the doctor for guess what? Illegal entry into the United States because he didn't go through a regular port of entry and be interviewed by a United States officer. It's a misdemeanor, punishable by six months in jail and a fine. Anyway, they arrested him for that. And of course, they got him in the United States and then the U.S. attorney filed charges. They got an indictment from a federal grand jury charging him with uh, aiding and abetting the murder of, of Agent Enrique Camarena. He went to trial. However, the defense asked for a summary judgment. Uh, they asked for the uh, judge. His name was Rafidi, R-A-F-E-E-D-I-E, a Ronald Reagan appointee to the federal bench in Los Angeles. That's the Central District of California. And he threw the case out. He said, there's no evidence here. He threw the case out. And the, the Mexican government offered uh, the doctor transportation home. And they uh, had a chartered plane waiting for him at the LAX Los Angeles airport. And when he got there, escorted by officers from our officials from the Mexican consulate, the Immigration Naturalization Service <laughs> arrested the doctor and gets on what charge? Being in the United States illegally because he hadn't gone through a port of entry <laughs> and been interviewed by an officer. Well, Judge Rafiti threw a fit when he was informed of this, and uh, he ordered the INS to release him and have him escorted to the airplane and sent him back to Mexico. The, that's the story that I'm reminded of when I read about this little girl, little girl now, she, you know, a minor, and uh, she, comes, uh, she comes from her town. She has been in the United States since she was an infant. She was born in Mexico and brought across within a month. She has never known she is the perfect DACA candidate if they were taking DACA new applications for it. In any event, that is the story of the day and the INS CBP, the INS successor, screws up again. 
Okay, let me get ready to read you my latest column, which happens to be about the Supreme Court appointee that was nominated. Okay, here goes. This is a 626-word column that I wrote on September 22, entitled The President versus Senate Democrats by Raul Lowry Contreras. The United States Supreme Court has eight members today after the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Five are Republican appointees and three are Clinton-Obama picks. In a few days, President Trump will nominate a Republican woman to fill the now vacant Ginsburg seat. The three sitting justices appointed by Clinton-Obama are Jewish, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg was also Jewish. The five Republican-appointed justices are Roman Catholics. Interesting. Justice Neil Gorsuch, appointed by President Trump, was raised Catholic but attends an Episcopal church in Virginia. There are no bona fide presidents on the court and haven't been since Justice John Paul Stevens retired. Will President Trump appoint another Roman Catholic to the Supreme Court? If so, does that mean the end of Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court decision that loosed legalized abortions? Roe v. Wade has accounted for the death of 63 million American babies. There are many of us that are uncomfortable with Roe v. Wade and how many children have been aborted since Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973. Does it also mean that the Roman Catholic philosophy of helping the needy and respecting life before any other thinking will protect the vulnerable among us? Does it mean that the Supreme Court will keep government nutrition, health, and financial programs alive, such as Obamacare, parentheses, and protection of existing health problems, close parentheses, while terminating the abortion industry? Does it mean that the stranglehold Harvard and Yale law schools have on the Supreme Court will be broken? Who President Trump nominates is unknown at this moment, but three names of three women are being thoroughly discussed by observers of the court and the Trump administration, and here they are. Justice Amy Coney Barrett, 48, of the Seventh Circuit Court, who graduated from Notre Dame's law school, summa cum laude, that's number one, first in her class, Roman Catholic. Barbara Lagoa, L-A-G-O-A, 52, of the 11th Circuit Court, that's based in Atlanta, who graduated from Columbia Law School, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's alma mater, as a matter of fact. She was the first Hispanic woman named to Florida's Supreme Court and to the 11th Circuit of the Court of Appeals, Roman Catholic. Allison Jones Rushing, 38 years old of the Fourth Circuit and a graduate of Duke University's Law School, Protestant. If one was handicapping these women, one would take into account their academic histories. All three were academically excellent. How the Senate voted for them for their important appointments by President Trump since he became president. And lastly, their histories on their respective courts of appeal. The question for President Trump and those around him is, will this appointment make an impression on the court or will she be another David Souter who was a gigantic disappointment? Or will she be another Ruth Bader Ginsburg? If the appointment was up to this writer, the choice would be Amy Coney 
Barrett. Remember, I wrote this on the 22nd of September, a week before uh, she was actually nominated. She is a strong proponent of the Fourth Amendment's protection against unreasonable searches and seizures and has decided against qualified immunity for what the street calls bad cops. Politically, her sitting in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee with her five natural-born children and two adopted Haitian children, fending off Kamala Harris, appeals to my sense of verbal political combat. If President Trump nominates her or either of the other two women mentioned above, the fight is joined and the appointee will be seated on the court before Christmas. That is as it should be. Republicans number 53 of hundred of a hundred senators. As Barack Obama once famously said, elections have consequences. Republicans hold the White House and the Senate. The Constitution states clearly that the president shall present a candidate for the Supreme Court to the Senate and a majority of senators present shall give their, quote, advice and consent, unquote, to the president's nominee. It doesn't say an election year appointment must wait until a presidential election is held. The end. Hey, thanks for being there. This is Raul Lowry Contreras. This is the Contreras Report and Hispanic View of the United States. And we'll be with you again real soon. Thanks again for being there.